Chapter 2. We're taking a detour today, and we're going to discuss the topic of motherhood. So I want you to look with me in your Bibles in Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman, The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him there three months. And when she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch, and she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at the distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and while her young woman, her young women walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. And then the sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and Call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. And so the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, gracious God, we thank you. Oh Lord, we thank you for your kindness and goodness to us. Thank you for your word, which is eternal, which is all powerful, able to transform, uh, to convert, to sanctify, to renew. And we pray our minds would be uh, renewed today. We pray for the moms, especially today. Oh Lord, as they look to um, this example of uh, Jochebed in the Bible, that they're, they're, uh, the women here today, the moms here today would be encouraged and be strengthened and be challenged, oh Lord, as they look to this fine example in Scripture, uh, Lord, of a woman who was courageous, who had faith and would uh, uh, did all she could do uh, for her son. We pray, oh Lord, that you would help us all, Lord, men and women today, to just acknowledge your sovereignty, your goodness and kindness to your people throughout all the ages and through the faith of, of all people that are called to your name, you bring about your goodwill and purpose. Lord, please bless this time. I pray for myself. May you, my mind, my heart, my lips be focused on you now. I pray that uh, uh, you would use me, O oh, Father God. Send your spirit to anoint me and to um, uh, empower me to preach, Father, that the things you would have me to use. I pray that our hearts would be tender and receptive. And, O oh, Lord, that we would understand your will for us. Oh, Lord, we look to you, Christ, the center of it all, in Jesus' name, amen. On this day, once a year, where we honor mothers in America, and consequently, as Christians, we come together, and we also take a moment to step back and look at the importance of motherhood in our lives and in the church Uh, We know that when God created Adam and Eve, he created them both male and female. Eve, the mother of all the living, 
sets the precedent for us from the very beginning. And although her failure um, ultimately was Adam's failure for his lack of leadership, we know that God in his great grace provided redemption for them and for all mankind. And ultimately that is realized through the seed of the woman, our Lord Jesus Christ, who crushed the head of the serpent. But today we recognize that the importance of a mother in our lives can have a great impact and influence for us and to us for good or for evil. A godly mother can have an extremely important influence on her children and shape the rest of their lives uh, to live in the fear of God and to walk in faithfulness. An ungodly mother can have the also an adverse effect, turning her children away from the Lord and turning her children to the world. It goes back to the simple precept of sowing and reaping. You reap what you sow, and you sow to the wind, and you will reap the whirlwind. But if you sow in the Spirit, you will reap life. And so we see that this is an important example for us in the Scripture today, not just in Jochebed, but in many of the mothers there's a worldly example I'd like to recognize, and it's someone that you may know. He ran for president in 2016 for the Republican nomination. His name is Dr. Ben Carson. Dr. Ben Carson is probably one of the greatest rags-to-riches stories in the United States. He came from a single-mother household, growing up in a somewhat economically poor area, and he rose to become a medical doctor, not only a medical doctor, but the director of neurological surgery at John Hopkins University for Children's Hospital. You cannot get reach such a high plateau unless you are one of the most brilliant people in the world. When he was head of neurological surgery, he wrote an essay in honor of his mother. And he writes this, He says, over the years, my mother's steadfast faith in God has inspired me, particularly when I had to perform extremely difficult surgical procedures or when I found myself faced with my own medical scare. A few years ago, I discovered I had a very aggressive form of prostate cancer. I was told it may have spread to my spine. My mother was steadfast in her faith in God. She never worried. She said that God was not through with me yet and that there was no way that this was going to be a major problem. The abnormality in my spine turned out to be benign, and I was able to have surgery and cured today. My story is really my mother's story, a woman with little formal education or worldly goods who used her position as a parent to change the lives of many people around the globe and ultimately made me who I am today. Well, I think that... Behind every good man and woman is a good mother behind them who nurtured them and taught them the most important values and priorities in life. Everybody has a mother, but not everybody has a mama. There are also many moms who bring children into the world, and they are either going to be devoted to the Lord or going to be devoted to their children. And having to be able to blend the two together, to be devoted to God and devoted to your children is a fine line and fine balance. Ultimately, though, we must be cautious because in being devoted to your children and making them the center of your universe, you teach them to grow up thinking that they're the center of the universe. But be devoted to your children 
in the sense that you're devoted to Christ, teaching your children that Christ is the center of the world and you will never, ever lack on getting a repayment for your commitment. But in the end, the best thing could mother can do is to show her faith in Christ and set an example of obedience, faith, and devotion. Today's example tells us everything we need to know in Jochebed. We don't know much about Jochebed. In fact, her name isn't even given to us in this passage. We don't learn to Exodus 6.20, her name or her genealogy. We know she's Levitical, and we know that her husband is a Levite, Amram, and the two of them got married and they had children. We know that Moses had two other siblings, Miriam and Aaron, and God would use all three of these siblings to bring about the exodus of Israel. She was the the mother of Moses, the deliverer. She was the mother of Aaron, the high priest, and she was mother of Miriam, a prophetess, a poet, and singer in Israel. And so all three of these have had a great influence by a woman we know relatively little about. And yet, we know that whatever she did do had a lasting impact. So I want to look at three aspects of who Jochebed is today. I want to get an understanding of who she is and how her influence changed, uh, not just the lives of her three children, but of the whole nation of Israel. Number one, Jochebed trusted in the promises of God. That's the first point today. Jochebed trusted in the promises of God. Now, remember something. We're, we're introduced here in the book of Exodus uh, contextually to a time in redemption history when, when Israel was not in a good state. They weren't living in, in very good conditions. It tells us in Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, now there was a new king out over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to the people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. And they built for Pharaoh store cities, Pitram and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. And so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. And in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So it wasn't an easy time to be an Israelite. It wasn't an easy time to be a Hebrew. Um, They lived in a period of time, a new dynasty came into power, a new a new political party in Egypt who did not remember Joseph. And, that, and the memory of Joseph, which had faded, should have been there because it was Joseph who saved Egypt. And as a reward for saving Egypt, the Pharaoh of that time blessed Israel and allowed them to live in the land and gave Jacob and his children uh, and his families uh, uh, the land of Goshen to enjoy. And they lived harmoniously with the Egyptian people for a long period of time. This new dynasty in Egypt had no use for Israel. They saw them as enemies. They saw them as a threat. They saw that as they began to grow and multiply, they thought, oh my goodness, we're going to lose power. And the threat and the fear of losing power had caused them to oppress the Israelite people and made their lives bitter. They were enslaved and they were given harsh and cruel taskmasters and their lives were made miserable. But that wasn't all that happened. It tells us in verse 15, Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, 
one who was named Shiphrath and the other Pura, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him, but if it's a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this? Why did you let the male children live? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They are vigorous and they give birth before the midwife can come to them. And so God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is to be born to the Hebrews, you shall cast them into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. So now Pharaoh goes beyond just slavery, but issues a decree for an extermination policy of all male children born to Israel. This was a policy of infanticide that was nationwide, and uh, he gave command to these Hebrew midwives, you're to drown uh, any baby boy born in the kingdom because the males would grow up to be a threat. The women were no threat. They could intermarry with the Egyptians. We can get rid of this uh, problem once and for all. The important thing to notice is that the midwives feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. And, that is, and that's something to be said, as we'll see as we get into Jochebed, because she likewise demonstrates that same kind of faith. And so with that said, we have to understand that this is the context that Amram and Jochebed are in when they have children. They have two older children, Miriam and Aaron. And now here we have the situation where Moses is born and they're terrified. This is something that, that if they are found with this child and he's alive, it could cost them everything. It could cost them their freedom. It could cost them their lives. It could cost them uh, to have Miriam and Aaron taken from them. And so this was, this was a very scary time. And the best way I can relate to is if you think about it, is in uh, maybe in, in, in China. Uh, not too long ago, there was a one policy child in China. If you had more than one child, the government would come and take that child from you. Um, and we, you know, we tend not to understand these things and how, how harsh and how cruel uh, some of these governments around the world are in modern society, but it was, it, it was very similar to some extent. Nevertheless, there was a great risk here. The baby's born. The baby could cry. Anyone could hear it. And yet, how do we see how this godly family responds to this time of crisis? How does Jochebed respond under the threat of a tyrannical, evil government seeking to exterminate the people of God? She did what any woman of God would do. She believed and trusted in the Lord. She had faith. She had faith. So much so that she is listed in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. We know the Hall of Faith talks about the exploits of Samson and Abraham and and, and, and it talks about Moses, and, but, but yet in the, in the introduction of Moses in the, in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11, we're told in Hebrews eleven twenty three, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So there's two things to point out here that undergirded their faith. Number one, they saw that no that Moses was no ordinary child. He was no ordinary child. In fact, it says here that when um, she bore a son, she saw that he was a fine child and she hid him for three months. 
Uh, that word fine means that something made him stand out. They could see that this infant was, was not just any, any child, but God had put it on their hearts that he was someone special and that, that God had a plan for his life. And, and we could only attribute that to the revelation of the Holy Spirit of God uh, impressing upon Jochebed that God had a plan for her son and that she was to act in faith in this time of crisis. But at the same time, I want us to remember that the midwives also acted in such a way, and that is because while this young boy would grow up to be the greatest leader in Israel's history, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, every single human being who is born is an important life. Every single human being born, every child who is born to woman has a purpose in this life and God has a plan for their lives and they are important and they have, they should do everything to be preserved for life. Psalm 139, 13 through 16 says, for you formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, O God, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden before you from you. Uh, when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, even as though there were none of them. David could proclaim in this psalm that before he was even born, God had a plan for his life. And it wasn't just because he was the king of Israel, it was because every human being is special in the eyes of God. No human being can come into existence unless God joins uh, uh, the two uh, um, uh, cells together from the male and female and gives a spirit to create life. There's the biological component, but there's a spiritual component. God is the father of all spirits, and no human being could be conceived or born apart from the purpose and the will of God. That's why Jeremiah could say in Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you and I appointed you a prophet to the nations. It's important for all mothers to know that if God blesses you with a child, that child's life has a purpose, has a plan. They are important. They are They are fine. They are fine in the eyes of God. And every child deserves the chance to live. We may not live in a society like Egypt where children are being tossed the moment at birth into the Nile River, but we do live in a society where up to the moment of birth, you can abort the pregnancy and you could exterminate the life of an unborn child. That is wicked. And I don't care if it's legal, it's still wicked. And no woman who fears God would do such a thing. That doesn't mean women haven't, couldn't, couldn't have made a mistake in their past of their life. That happens. But if you know God and you know his will, you will not and you could not snuff out the life of an unborn child. Secondly, Jochebed also had faith in the sense that she demonstrated she did not fear the king's edict. Like the midwives, she feared God more than she feared man. And I think this is an important thing to demonstrate what true faith is 
Because trusting in God means that there are going to be times when the state, when those in power will issue policy and will issue edicts that are contrary to the revealed word of God. And as God's people, we do not submit to a government that tells us to sin against God. At the end of the day, our allegiance is to God, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the sovereign over the universe. He made us. He owns us. It's to him we answer. It's to him we must give an account. It's to him we'll be standing before judgment day. And it's to him every emperor, ruler, and king will stand before on judgment day. So when the state says do A, and God says do not do A, you do B. Why? Because we fear God more than we fear men. And that was the kind of mother that Jochebed was. She was a woman who feared God. She feared God more than she feared the state. She reminds me of Peter in Acts chapter 5, 29, when the Sanhedrin said to Peter and John, we, we forbid you, we forbid you to go out and preach the name of Jesus. Peter and John stood there. They said, okay, well, the Sanhedrin, they're the... They're the ministers of our land. They've been given authority. They're the governing authorities. They're commanding us and forbidding us to teach the word of God. Well, I guess we should submit to the governing authorities. And Peter says, responds to them, who shall we obey, God or man? You're forbidding us to do what our Lord commands us. And so remember it this simple. When the government forbids you to do what God commands, you disobey the government. When the government commands you to do what God forbids, you disobey the government. We're not called to live as as rebels and renegades and disrupting society. We're to be peaceful. And when laws are good and they reflect the will of God, we submit to those laws. But when those laws are not, we peacefully, civilly disobey. That is more honoring to God. I want you to think about it because hiding Moses for three months would not have been easy. His cries got louder and it had to be a time of intense caution and care. But this woman acted in faith and she trusted in God to preserve her family because she knew it was the right thing to do. A godly mother knows when protecting her children, it doesn't matter what the world says or thinks, it matters what God says or thinks. Thankfully, we do not live in a system that is asking us to kill our children, but in other ways, society is looking to destroy our kids. And as mothers, you have to act in faith. At a very young age, our system is seeking to take our children from us and teach them values and inculcate values that are completely contrary to the will of God. We need mothers today who are like Jochebed, who fear God more than they fear man. We need mothers today who are willing to face persecution, alienation, and risk all and stand firm in the faith that God commands. We need mothers to the sea, no matter how afraid they are of this world and what they could do. They trust in the Lord no matter what. Why was Jochebed able to do this? Because she trusted in the promises of God. But I said, she trusted in the promises of God. God had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he would send them to Egypt for 400 years, but that he would bring them back to the land of Canaan. You see, she knew what God's will and purpose was for the nation, for his people. She would not dare do contrary or anything that would subvert that. 
and God blessed her. All right, secondly, she trusted in God to care for her children, verses two through four. She trusted in God to care for her children, or her child, I should say, for Moses. In verse three, when she could hide him no longer, she took, him, took for him a basket of bulrushes and daubed it in bitumen and pitch, and she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank, and his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now, it's interesting because it talks about, it says they, she put him in a basket. The word there in Hebrew is actually the same word for ark. Uh, just as Noah built an ark and he built it with bitumen and pitch, in the same word is used here to describe the vessel that she creates for Moses. Just as Noah and his family went into the ark and they were, and they were saved and they were kept protected and safe from the destruction of the world, she created a little bit, little ark and she placed baby Moses in there for his protection from all the destruction and chaos. There's, a, there's imagery there that just as through Noah, God saved the world, God was going to save uh, 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 Israel through Moses. But what we see here that is more importantly is that she could not no longer protect him. She could no longer preserve him. He was getting too old and it was getting dangerous. And she had to make a decision. She was at a crossroads of life. And God put it on her. And I want you to see that what she did was an act of faith. She could have held on to the child till she was found out and murdered. She would be murdered and he would be murdered. She could have just thrown him in the river and let him drown. So I'll trust God. God will protect him. But she did what she could. And she created this little ark for him to be safe in, in the storm and the trial that Israel was experiencing. There comes a time for every mother when you have to let go and let God. I know that's very cliche, but it's, but it's true. There comes a point every mother must let go and let God it's been said, mothers begin saying goodbye to their children the moment they're born. And so you need to start giving, mothers hear me, you need to start giving your children to the Lord from the moment they are born. It happens over and over again in life. I remember when I first brought my kids to nursery school. For me and Claudia, it was very hard to say goodbye. They were, we were handing them over to people we didn't know. Or, or whether it's they're going to elementary school or middle school, or high school, or summer camp. I remember the first time Rachel went to overnight camp with North Shore Baptist Church. Uh, it could be graduation and you're waving goodbye to them to college, or, or they're getting married. You, every stage of life, as a mother, you're saying goodbye to your children. You're, you're, you're pushing them through another level of life. And what I would encourage all moms here today is to let go, to let God, and commit your children to the Lord. It was not easy for Jochebed to put her son in that basket. That had to be excruciating. I can't imagine putting a three-month-old baby in a basket, sending him off in a boat and saying, God will take care of it. I mean, just look at, even last week when we saw, when we were praying over Betsy and Tom for the, for the successful surgery of baby Ian, and praise God, everything went well. It was a very successful surgery, to God be the glory. But you could see the angst, you could see the stress. You could see the concern, the motherly concern. Could you imagine a three-month-old baby putting him in a boat? But she did it in faith. 
She was like Hannah, who years later would commit her son to the Lord before he was even born. In 1 Samuel one eleven, it was Hannah who said, I will give him to the Lord all the days of her life, of his life. Do you know how we do this, moms? You know how we do this, even dads? We trust in the sovereign care of God. Part of letting go is knowing that God is in control. You see, she was able to put him in the basket because she had confidence and faith that God would protect her son. She said, he's the Lord's and he'll take care of him. Jochebed prayed. She was a woman who did all she could do when she could do no more. She realized this child is in the hands of God. Moms today, do you trust in God to protect and preserve your children? Let me tell you something, anxiety and fear that we may have for our kids, just remember this, God can do a better job of taking care of them than we can. God knows better what to do for them than we do. You know, there's two extremes. I see some, some parents who they're, they're very, they just let their kids do whatever they want and they're just sort of leaving the child to themselves. Well, the scripture tells us in Proverbs 29, 15, that if you leave a child to themselves, they'll bring shame to their mother. But on the same token, you have other parents who are overprotective. There's a term we've seen in recent sites called helicopter moms. It's the mom who, like a helicopter drone, is over their child 24-7. We can only do so much to protect our children. Sooner or later, our kids are going to be in the world. They're going to have their own lives, and there's only so much you could do. I say it's not just for moms, but for dads. We have to trust that God is in control, that he has a plan and he loves our kids and he's going to do what's best. We can pray and we we can fast, we can compel, we can lead and direct, but as our children grow and become adults, they are ultimately going to be individual human beings who must work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. I also want us to see something important here that her faith was rewarded. Shortly later, Moses was saved. Not long. She sent little baby Miriam, little, little, little girl Miriam out to follow her son. And she's kind of hanging out in the bushes watching. And there is Pharaoh's daughter with her, all her servants. And she's taking a bath in the Nile. It was believed in ancient Egyptian culture that by bathing in the Nile you would actually uh, create fertility in your, in your body. It was, it was something that was uh, um, part of their pagan ritual. And so we could only assume that maybe she was infertile. Maybe she was someone who had a miscarriage. We're, we don't know. But we know that, that this woman went in to bathe in the Nile and her servants with her and she found Moses. She sent her servant and here's the interesting thing. It says she was moved with pity and compassion. She heard the cries of the child and she was moved with pity. Now I find this very interesting because the sound of babies crying was probably a regular thing. There was a policy in Egypt to drown baby boys. I am sure she heard baby boys crying and drowning on a regular basis. This was not something new. What moved her to such compassion? We could assume a lot of things. According to historical data, if this is Ramses I, which we believe it may be, he had 60 daughters. 
Of all 60 daughters, one of them, God had sovereignly put in the same place, in the same time that Moses' little ark was coming down. And of all the daughters, it happened to be one of the daughters who was a very compassionate woman. Maybe she didn't agree with her father's policies. She knew he was a Hebrew boy. And she knew by taking him, she was violating her own father's commandments. Do you not see the hand of God upon this? Jochebed trusted God to take care of Moses. And that's exactly what God did. In ways that she couldn't have even dreamt of. I have been a Christian a long time and I could tell you, when God is moving in your life, you cannot mistake the hand of God. He puts things into place. And I've experienced this in different times. And when God puts everything into place, it's undeniable. Because you and all of your machinations and your wisdom could not do things any better than God could do. Remember Proverbs 21.1? The heart, the king's heart is a stream of water. It's in the hands of Lord and he directs it wherever he wills. God directed the heart of Jochebed. Job, Job 42.2, I know, Job says that you, Lord, can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. It was the purpose and plan of God for Moses to be rescued, to be preserved, to be raised up, to be a leader of Israel. Brothers and sisters, we must take comfort and trust in the sovereignty of God. We must trust in his purpose and plan. We must trust in Romans 8.28 when it says, God is working all things together for the good of those who love him called according to his purpose. Not just with our lips, but with our hearts. We have to take comfort and rest. God cares and he will take care of us. Jesus says, if he so cares for the lilies of the field, are you not more important? If he so cares for the birds of the field, are you not more important? And yet we worry and we worry and we worry for what? Every time we worry, you know what we're saying? We don't trust in God. Moses' mother had every reason to worry, but she trusted entirely in God to take care of her son, and that's precisely what God did. Well, guess what? On top of that, Jacobed was rewarded greatly by God for her faith. Miriam, who was sent to watch, sees what's going on, and she goes right back to, to Pharaoh's daughter, and she intervenes. Verse 7, Then his sister, that is Miriam, said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? You have to see how Jacobed even taught her daughter. She taught her daughter to be astute, to be right there in the line of fire, to be bold, to be courageous, and to step forward in faith. You could see God building the faith of Miriam there directly from her mother. It's amazing when you see later in Israel's history how the three siblings work together as a team and God uses all of them in mighty ways. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. And the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I'll give you your wages. 
So the woman took the child and nursed him. Get that. That's her reward. Not only did she get her child saved, but she got her child back. She got him for three years. She got to nurse him. And she got paid for it. She got paid by the, by the empire. She got paid by Pharaoh. How could you ask more than that? Do you see the hand of God, how he works? Wow. I tell you, I can only imagine the joy of Miriam and Jochebed. She must have got on her knees and prayed God and said, the Lord who provides has provided for my needs according to his riches and glory. Oh, our Lord is good. So finally, the third thing, she demonstrated faith by she taught Moses to believe in God. Jochebed had three years with Moses, and that was it. Three years. At a tender age, she had to do everything she could in those three years to teach him about the Lord. She had to teach him who Yahweh was, who the sovereign God of Israel was. She had to teach him about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She had to teach him about the covenant, the promises of God, and and about Canaan, and about the seed of Israel, about the Messiah who would come and rescue and deliver Israel. All of these things she had to teach Moses in three years. She had to teach him to pray because there would come a day where she would have to hand him off to the princess of Egypt. And if he didn't have a good foundation, he'd be lost forever. You see, when a godly mother has faith, a godly mother wants to inculcate their children with that faith. A godly mother who has faith wants to build that faith in her children because sooner or later, our kids will be taken from us. Sooner or later, you will have to hand your children over to secular and ungodly forces. And if you build the foundation when they're young, you have to have hope and confidence that they'll be stable. Their faith may be challenged. They may go through difficulties. Certainly Moses became an Egyptian. He was very Egyptian for most of his life. And when he got older, though, he remembered the ways of God. It says in Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. How do we raise our kids? How do we teach them? It's twofold. It's instruction and discipline. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers and mothers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instructions of the Lord. The priority for Christian parents is to teach, to instruct. We teach them the commandments of God. We teach them the gospel. We teach them uh, to pray. We teach them to go to church. We and then what we do is we model the Christian life in front of them. And so every moment is a teaching moment for, our, for mothers and for fathers. And we discipline them. When our kids are wrong, when they're in sin, when they're in rebellion, when they're not doing things right, we lovingly show them that they are wrong and we correct them. We discipline them if necessary. Proverbs thirteen twenty four says, whoever spares the rod hates his son but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Mothers, there's nothing wrong with disciplining your children. If you love them, you'll discipline them. 
The Bible says that God loves those whom he disciplines. God disciplines his children, and he's the epitome of love. God is love. So do not ever think there's anything unloving about disciplining your children. Three years she had, and it paid off. It paid off. It would take till Moses was 40. And until he was 40, he lived a lavish life. He was a prince of Egypt. He had it good. He had all the luxuries, all the, the, the good things that money could buy. He had power, eminence, glory, authority. He had it all. I don't know what the compar- comparison would be in those days. I mean, we have BMWs, Mercedes-Benz, Ferraris. He, had, he must have had the Ferrari of, of, of chariots, gold-plated, beautiful steers, regal dress. But look at what it tells us in Hebrews eleven twenty four. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than, listen to this, than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Those three years paid off. God honored Jochebed's faith. I want you to think about this because the Bible says that Amram lived to 137 years old. I believe Jochebed lived long too. Longevity seemed to run in the family. They all lived long. Miriam, Aaron, Moses. That means they were alive when the Exodus took place. They were able to follow their son out of Egypt with the plunder of Egypt in their hands, seeing the hand of God in their lives. Moms, who do you know, how do you know that you're not raising the next Billy Graham? How do you know you're not raising the next Susanna Wesley? How do you know you're not raising the next great person that God will use in his kingdom? You don't know. But here's what you do know. In the limited time that you have as mothers to influence your children, Teach them about Christ. Teach them the gospel. Teach them about the Lord. Make God a priority. And you can only do that by making a God priority in your life. Proverbs 31, 26 says that a godly mother's children will rise up and call her blessed. I'm sure that Moses grew up and called her blessed. Let me conclude with this thought. The days are evil and the time is short. I was watching a video years ago by Al Mohler when he was talking about, he was teaching about the doctrine of creationism versus evolution. And he was talking about what a fierce battle it is in the academic forum. And then he was referring to how basically Christian conservatives and evangelicals have lots of kids. And he was talking about how progressives have very few kids, if not any. And he was saying that conservatives or Christians seem to have this thought, well, we're having more kids, we'll win. 
And then he quotes a professor from Berkeley University, the University of California, sociology professor who wrote many books and had a great influence. If you know Berkeley College, it's a very hyper-progressive university, very secular, very godless. And he said, go ahead, Christians, have your kids. Go ahead, have 10, have 15 of them, have all the kids you want. I don't care if we're not having kids, he says. We don't need to have kids because they're going to come to my college one day. And when they come to college, they're mine. That's how a lot of professors think. And I can tell you, one day as parents, we will send our kids off. And the people in the world are going to be like the princess of Egypt and Pharaoh. They're going to say, they're mine now. So what do we do with the little bit of time you have, moms and dads? Pour into your kids all you can. It's not always easy. We get distracted. It's not always easy. There's, thing, there's things that we're, we're busy. But I could tell you if there's any priority we have is to pour into our children the importance of a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's important that we instill in them a value of our Christian heritage because one day they will not be ours anymore. And if we haven't taught them right, we can lose them. Late year, generations later, when Joshua would enter the promised land, turn me your Bibles to Joshua chapter 3. I'm sorry, Judges rather. And in Judges chapter 11, chapter 2, verse 11, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, chapter 1, verses 10, I apologize. Chapter, would I say 1, 10? No, 2, 10, 2, 10. I can't see good. I, I, I either need a light or glasses. This is not my Bible. Chapter 2, verse 10. Now, this was after the conquest, after Israel had settled the land, after Joshua died. Israel finally had peace and rest in the land. They settled. It says in verse 10, and all that generation were also gathered to their fathers. That was the generation that conquered the Canaan. It says, there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for them. How is that possible? How is it possible that, that this generation came in, they saw the hand of God, they conquered it, Canaan for the name of Christ, they, they, they settled the land, they, they did great things, but it says their children didn't know anything about God. They failed to teach their children about these things. They didn't know because they weren't taught. Mothers, fathers, make your time count. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the mothers in our midst. Oh, Lord, every mother here today was ordained to be a mother because of you. 
You set them apart and you gave each mom here the children as the fruit of their womb. We pray that each and every mother here today would have heard from you today and look to this great mother of faith, Jacobed. We pray, dear God, that although we may not meet of the same level and height of faith as Jacobed, that we would strive for such faith, that there'd be desire and delight to be like Jacobed. We pray for our children. We pray for our sons and daughters. Oh, Father God, we pray that they would esteem and value you, O oh Lord, that they would value the things of God and they would not be swayed and swerved by the world and ungodliness. Guard their minds and hearts and protect them from the evils around them. May they grow up like Moses, valuing the treasures of Christ more than the treasures of the world. We pray, dear God, that you would hear our prayers, not just for the children of grace and truth, but of all your kingdom. We pray for the mothers all today. We thank you for them. We thank you for their, their ministry. We thank you for their love. We thank you for their faith, and we pray that you bless them all in Jesus' name. Amen.